the feeling of mattering is so fundamental. When you were born as a human being, the first thing that you did was you actually tilted your head upward and grasped for someone to value you. You sought to matter to someone else for your survival before you sought to eat food. And that never goes away, right? So that survival instinct to matter, to have a caring relationship. I think people are finding, are not experiencing mattering in places like their workplaces, their classrooms, their families, even their communities. And so if a political candidate or a subreddit thread offers you that false feeling of significance, humans are going to go there. And then what happens is we divide. And I think more than ever, people are competing for the significance they're not getting in their everyday lives. Welcome to the Applied Podcast. I'm Baron Gogan, and I'm joined today by Zach Mercurio. Zach is an instructor in CSU's Organizational Learning Performance and Change Master's Program, and also teaches courses in the Applied Positive Psychology Graduate Certificate Program. In addition to teaching and public speaking, Zach has also consulted for more than 100 organizations on topics of meaningful work, mattering, purposeful leadership, and positive organizational psychology. Some of Zach's clients have included the U.S. Army, J.P. Morgan Chase, American Express, Hewlett Packard, and the National Park Service. Zach, thanks for being here. Thanks, Baron. I'm excited. just jump in with the first question. So my understanding of psychology is a big field and there are different types of psychology. So you have some people that study the brain and cognition and and kind of the brain science. Mm. Then you have people who study more of human behavior and there's different subfields. So can you briefly explain applied positive psychology and how that differs from other fields? Positive psychology is the study of what's best about human beings. And Often, most psychological disciplines, prior to positive psychology being named a field in 1998 by Marty Seligman, who's really the founding psychologist of positive psychology, we've studied what's wrong with people. And then we've studied how to prevent those things from happening. Most psychology, up to when positive psychology was founded, was founded on this idea of how do we prevent a disease. It's called a disease model of functioning versus how do we understand uh, what creates flourishing, what are the best aspects of the human being, and how do we develop those from a proactive instead of reactive, preventative standpoint. The way I think about it is if you were to learn golf, would you spend all your time studying someone who stinks at golf and try to figure out how not to stink at golf? Or would you spend your time focusing on somebody who is flourishing in golf and is an expert in golf and learn how to do those things. It's natural. Yet, the way we've treated human beings and the way we've studied psychology for so many years is we've studied disease. And how do we make sure people don't get diseased? And what, what, we, what we leave out of that is human possibility the things that make humans great, their strengths, their virtues, the emotions they feel when a human being has purpose, you know, what happens and how do you develop that? And so now we're on this trajectory where we're studying what contributes to human flourishing and what are practices to 
realize that in everyday life, work, school, education. So it's kind of flipping psychology the way it's been done in the past and taking a completely different approach. Sure, and it's a, instead of a problems-based approach, it's a possibilities approach. Instead of a deficit-based approach, it's a what's good approach. What's our, what are our strengths? For example, in organizations that I work with, it's instead of asking the question, what went wrong? What would it look like if everything was going right? Mm. And how do we pursue that? For example, if you have a team that's not collaborating, most people say, hey, my team lacks collaboration. Instead of involving the team and saying, what would optimal collaboration look like? And what do we need to get there? Right. It's completely different. You don't get very good data when you say, why isn't my team collaborating? You get great data to improve when you say, how can I create an optimal environment that manifests collaboration regularly? And you involve people in that. Mm. That's just one example of like, right now, if you're listening, a question you can just reframe. It's called appreciative inquiry. And it's just asking an affirmative question. Like, for example, if you're a parent, right? Instead of saying, uh, why does my kid keep watching his tablet, right? Mm-hmm. Ask, what are the conditions I can create where my kid wouldn't need to watch his tablet? Right. And what you're doing is when you ask questions like that, when you make that shift, you're unlocking the positive resources you need to move forward. There's also a misconception about the word positive in positive psychology, which is important for listeners to understand. A lot of people have heard of toxic positivity. This is when someone says to you, oh, don't worry, everything's great. Mm -hmm. Doesn't matter all the things that are happening in your life, everything's great. That's not what positive means in positive psychology. It's the response to what's happening in a positive and productive way. So things can be really bad and we can name it. You know, it's good like to name it. Like these difficult things, challenging things are happening to us. But the difference when from a positive psychological approach is what are the unique strengths I have to respond to this and how am I going to respond? And what's possible in terms of how I respond? And that's what characterizes positive in positive psychology. It's the lens through which we interpret, react to, respond to our environment in ways that use and liberate what's best about us as people. That's really interesting. So at our office, we've done some some things called Clifton Strengths. I believe mm-hmm. it's a strengths-based tool where everyone kind of evaluates their strengths and finds out where people are strong, and then everyone shares and collaborates about that to learn more kind of about how everyone works and uh, what everyone's good at, and then talk about ways of you know utilizing that and tapping into that more. So that's kind of sounds like a similar area. It is, right? So let's let's take your team leader or your leader, right? The traditional psychological approach in action by a leader, they may not be naming it as that's the approach, but the traditional approach is, how do I get my people to be better? How do I get my people to perform better? How do I uh, get my people to stop doing X, Y, Z? Instead right. of, how do I reveal and nurture what's best in people? One of the interventions that you described is helping people to really realize, learn, and believe in their strengths. Research finds it correlates and predicts, uh, you know, overall well-being, flourishing, thriving in work. It's crucial for motivation, crucial for meaningfulness in work. There are numerous studies. Strengths-based work is really powerful, but why, why is it powerful? Why does that work? Well, when somebody can see and name their strength, it helps them develop self-belief. 
And that self-belief is critical. And it helps them develop not only self-belief that I have strengths, but self-esteem and that I am good. I'm, I'm a worthy person. And that is so important to do anything else in an organization mm-hmm. is that sense of worthiness that I matter. Um, if someone doesn't believe that they matter, it's easy for nothing to matter. Right. Uh, so, so if you're a leader, don't expect anything to matter to someone who doesn't first believe that they matter. I mean, mattering is the central concept in positive psychology that it may be the ultimate concept, really, because mattering has to come first. If someone doesn't believe that they matter, it's hard for anything to matter. Uh, People won't care about anything until they feel cared for. And helping someone realize their strengths helps them feel cared for. It also helps them believe that they matter, develop self-esteem, self-belief. And so that's a really important intervention. There's Clifton Strengths. There's also Via Strengths, which is another one you can access for free online if you're listening. We also cover that in one of our courses, our positive organizations uh, and leadership courses, um, where you can take that, get an inventory of your strengths, and and hopefully find ways to use them. I will say this though, a lot of organizations do strengths work, but just having an awareness of your strengths doesn't really do much. Using them does. Right. So one of the things we teach in our programs is how do you create an environment, if you're a leader, a parent, a teacher, a coach, where you are allowing people opportunities to use their strengths regularly. Mm -hmm. And that's where you get powerful outcomes. Right. That makes a lot of sense. So I'm glad you brought up that example. It's a great intervention anybody can just use right now. Yeah. What about education? How does this play into education? I'll go back to the workplace again, just because that's where a lot of my research is, if you don't mind. Sure. Um, And one of the things that I think is important is that environment does two things for human behavior. It either makes a behavior possible or it determines that a behavior will occur. So something that's really important about how positive psychology is applied in the workplace is especially for leaders or for somebody, anybody who has responsibility or influence over anybody is that you're partially responsible for the environment you create. So does your environment create the opportunity for people to use what's best about them? Does your environment make it possible for people to use their strengths, to experience meaningfulness, to experience positive emotions? And I think that's the big question that we answer in the program, is the strategies to do that for other people, especially in my work with positive organizations and leadership. In education, most of the way we educate people is from a deficit model. Really? Think about it. Um, you get a grade, an arbitrary letter grade, on whether you achieve something or you don't achieve something. Mm-hmm. Um, you are always not quite there yet until you get a good score on an assessment or get into a good college or you make it past your prereq for your xyz degree or you get that job with a starting salary or our educational system is set up on this process of you're not quite good enough yet versus helping people first realize what's good about who they already are so the movement in positive education like uh, positive workplaces is to help students first realize what's best about them It's a massively different paradigm, right? Because you, uh, if you want somebody to become who they can be, you have to reveal what's best about who they are. Mm-hmm. 
You can also work on behavioral change, but behavioral change without somebody believing in their strengths to make that behavioral change is really a fool's errand. Mm. We've been doing it for a century. And so positive education is, is really powerful. It's also helping people understand what's the meaning of what they're doing. Right. Um, for example, there's research out there that shows that like students, when they're asked to do rote math problems, like learn the multiplication tables, if they have a transcendent purpose, which means if they can say how they think learning that math project will help them make an impact on someone else or help them be better in the future, that they have higher GPAs and they learn the math problems faster than those who don't. Here's why you want to learn this and here's how it would help you. Yeah, you know, in architecture, you would it's form follows function, right? You have to understand the function of something before you build something. Yet the way we've developed human beings has been backwards. We tell people to create their career pathway, to, to pick their major, to create their resume, to pick, you know, my kid was in preschool last year and he was already being tracked into STEM career, STEM day, right? We ask people, we, we get children to determine the form of their life before they deeply understand their function why they are, what their purpose is, what kind of impact they want to make, what are their unique gifts, what are their unique strengths, what's good about who they are, developing that self-belief, that sense of mattering, that knowing how they're already valued. 46% of U.S. school children in an Education Week survey said they didn't feel valued by their school. Mm. You know, about 50% of people in a survey of over 66,000 people from Education Week, 6th grade through 12th grade, said they didn't think their teacher would notice if they were absent. Really? Yeah, so um, so what does that lend to, right? Again, if someone doesn't believe that they matter, it's easy for nothing to matter. You have conduct issues, performance issues. Positive education is all about revealing what's best in people and creating environments for them to unlock that potential. Right. So what does that look like in a more practical way? Like if, let's say, someone's a teacher and they want to start implementing some of these strategies in the classroom, maybe it's not necessarily something that's come down from leadership in the school, but they could start doing some small things. You know, what's something that they could do to kind of go into this? Yeah, one thing I think you can do is make sure that you know and name and repeatedly recognize each student's individual strengths. Um, And then give them, when they're struggling with an assignment, ask them questions like, hey, you know, which one of your strengths could you use more on this? Mm -hmm. Instead of, well, I need you to go home and really work on this more because you're not good at it yet. Right. Which which of your strengths could you use more on it? Because you'll find that, you know, if, if a student, for example, has a strength of ideating and they're a good brainstormer, they can come up with a different a whole different set of ideas for some things, but they're having str- trouble reading. Something you could say to them is, hey, let's, you're really good at ideation. Let's sit down and brainstorm ways in which you could, might be able to better remember what you're reading in these stories. Hmm. So then you're using their strength on a task, they're more likely to experience that task better. Or if you're giving assignments, there's there are, this, this actually relates back to the workplace, but there's some really great research on what predicts a meaningful task in work. And there are three elements. Significance is people have to know how it benefits others or what the impact is on it of the task. The second is identity, which means people have to know what the task identifies with. So. Uh, what is the task necessary for? What's the bigger outcome, downstream outcome? 
And then third is people have to know how they can use their strengths to do it. So if you're a teacher, anytime you give a task or an assignment, make sure first people understand the significance of the task. Hey, we're gonna work on reading, uh, we're gonna work on writing paragraphs first because have you ever read a, a paragraph, a story, or had your parent read a paragraph to you and you really got excited about it? Uh, that level of excitement that can come through reading is, is powerful, right? Mm -hmm. Kids are like, yeah. And learning these paragraphs are necessary to read whole books like and write a book. Anybody want to write a book someday? Yeah, cool. And oh, hey, you're a great ideator. Um, you're really good at putting together a lot of different complex things. I've seen you do that when you work on Legos in the corner. I want you to use that during this task. Oh, by the way, it's reading time at 11. Mm -hmm. Instead of saying, hey, we need you to get this assignment done by Friday. Go home and get this done. Right. Here's why it matters. Here's why it's necessary. Here's how you can use your unique strengths to do it. Right. Can I ask one, one more thing? Because this is also in the workplace too. Mm -hmm. Anytime you say good job or thank you, go one step further and show people the difference that they make and how they make it. If a child does something really good or an employee does something great, instead of just saying, hey, thanks, good job, go one step further. Describe when and where it happened, whatever you're thanking them for. Name the specific behaviors and describe the strengths that they used. And then most importantly, describe the impact that it had mm -hmm. on you or others. Those two things. I mean, if we just started communicating tasks and assignments and what we're doing that way, if we just started thanking people and saying good job by showing them the difference that they make, I mean, that can really start developing that self-belief, that sense of mattering. Right. So you're getting away from, with education, it's not just this arbitrary assignment it's here's why you're doing this because there is a reason and it's it's not just because it's on the test or it's part of a curriculum you're kind of explaining the meaning behind it and yeah. reinforcing the benefit of learning that as opposed to pass a standardized test or something like that and young people really get it you know uh, in first grade i went and talked to my kids first grade class about meaningful work now, what's meaningful work? Meaningful work is having that so that mentality. It's really knowing the significance of whatever it is that you're doing. Everything that we do as human beings, no matter what job we have, has an impact on other human beings. The same is true in a first grade classroom. Uh, and so what, what I asked them is I said, what's a job that you don't like doing? And one of the little girls said, I don't like um, uh, being quiet during reading time. Which, yeah, right? If you're just told by an adult to be quiet, when's the last time you wanted to do something because someone else told you to do it? Never, right? So I just asked her, and this is an example of job crafting, right? Crafting your perspective of a task that you can't see the meaning of. I just asked her, I said, hey, what would happen to a person, one of your classmates, if you weren't quiet? She said, oh, well, I guess they wouldn't be able to focus on their reading. I go, so don't think about it as being quiet. Think about it as helping people focus on their reading. And she was like, oh, yeah. And they all started talking about things they don't like, but then the impact it had on other people. Light bulb kind of went off. That's meaningfulness. That's, that's a key pillar of, of positive psychology. Meaning, positive emotions, positive relationships. Right. And you're, so you're taking something, it's, it would be the same outcome, but you're reframing the way you're going about it to make it more of a positive thing, which opens people up more. Because when you talk too much about negatives, consequences, or you're not doing what I want, people tend to shut down, would you say? 
Yeah, so uh, Barbara Fredrickson did a lot of research in positive psychology on emotions. And the negative emotions like fear, anger, frustration, those really evolved to help us survive, right? They help us avoid dying when we were developing as human beings. Right. And so our brain, the little part of our brain called the amygdala that produces that, that annoying stress hormone uh, that gets us stressed out and worked up because it thinks we're literally going to be speared by another hominid. Mm-hmm. Um, when you get an email that stresses you out, your brain doesn't know the difference. Mm. So when we experience negative emotions, our body goes into survival mode. Our cardiovascular system starts increasing. Our breathing starts increasing. And then try to make a decision in that state. Think about the last great decision you made when you were afraid. It's not that negative emotions are bad at all. Like we have to accept those, be able to name the negative emotions, but it's creating space between the stimulus and the response, being able to take some breaths and then respond in a way that is positive or productive. Mm -hmm. And so when you like scare a kid into trying to perform well on a test, you're actually decreasing their biological, psychological ability to perform. It's having the reverse effect. Yeah, that's why when a coach is yelling at a kid to improve, you rarely see that kid go out and improve. But when a coach says, hey, let me show you what could be different. And let me show you when you you make those changes, here's what your your teammate will be able to do or our team will be able to accomplish. Right. It's like you study the New England Patriots, that whole do your job mentality. That is not... It doesn't, that doesn't work just by chance. That's positive psychology. You are a part of something bigger. Your role is indispensable to the bigger group. And it's about putting service to others above yourself and you become better. That's positive psychology. Mm. Interesting. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. So the coach that's yelling is, he might get a short term. They might right away pick up the pace, but the long term is not going to pan out. Yeah, fear will motivate someone for a week or a month. Meaningfulness will motivate someone for a life. Right. And the same thing in work. You know, when, when a CEO says, we have to get lean and mean, we have to just get through this. You know, how many, how many times have you been really inspired to just get through something, right? Instead of, hey, who needs us to get through this? Remember when we've gotten through this before, those strengths that we use to make it through? We have those strengths. I need everybody to use their strength. And I'm going to help you do that. Right. Really good stuff for... People who are trying to be better leaders, yeah, better educators. What other fields might benefit from this besides? So we've mentioned sports, obviously, education, workplace, home. Yeah, is being a human a field? I think I think just being an, a general like functioning person. So, for example, you mentioned that this is about reframing things as positive. I would actually disagree. I would say that we're reframing things back to how they actually are. Right. The reality. We've reframed things as negative as human beings to try to get people to perform better, try to make more money, try to, you know, all of that short-term stuff. But like, for example, the kid who's being quiet, is it really reframing to say that you're being quiet so you can help someone read? No, that's the whole reason why you would be quiet in the first place. Mm. I think we're returning back to what's real. Some people say some of the things you say are cliche, and I say, great, because if it's cliche, that means it's probably true. 
Name right. a cliche that's not true. And so, uh, like, I think that we're actually, positive psychology is going back to who we are. And um, it's a principle of life itself. Um, if I took a time lapse of a sunflower, we're in Colorado right now, it's August, sunflowers are blooming. You would see the sunflower following the sun. Mm-hmm. That's the principle of heliotropism, where an organism is attracted to positive regenerative energy and away from negative extracting energy. Mm. The same is true with human beings. We're organisms. We are drawn towards positive regenerative energy and away from negative extractive energy. I would say that as a human, as an individual, there are some things that you can do that can be really powerful, whether it's focusing on positive emotions like gratitude. You know, there's been a lot of research on gratitude journaling. Now, I have to be honest with you, I'm not a great journaler, but even just thinking about gratitude journaling could make you feel like better, right? Like thinking about something you're thankful for and writing it down. There's a lot of research on awe right now. Mm. The new science of awe, being able to go and really just soak in a sunset you know, like one thing you can do as a person is just commit to watching every sunset from wherever you are, where there's a plain window, and just really think about it. Like describe the colors to yourself. Probably unplug a little bit from the technology. Yeah, just even just for like, you know, five minutes or um, so positive emotions are huge. Um, another thing that you can do is positive meaning. So, so that mentality, right? I'm doing this so that what? I have this meeting, Monday morning meeting at eight, so that what? And you'll find that when you think about that so that, you'll find that there's purpose wherever, wherever you are. And that's really powerful. And you can also ask yourself better questions instead of what do I have to do today? How is what I'm going to do today going to impact others? Instead of how am I going to get through this meeting? You could ask, how can I use my strengths to impact the people in this meeting? Mm-hmm. So this sounds very similar to mindfulness, which is kind of a buzz word recently in the past few years. Do you think that there's similarities or... Is, is that more of a simplified version of, of what you're talking about? I would say mindfulness is, um, mindfulness is, a, is not as well studied in the literature as some of these other things that I've been talking about, like positive emotions, positive meaning, positive relationships. Um, but there is some initial data that mindfulness can increase the experience of positive emotions, which, so I talked about when we experience a negative emotion, it narrows our attention to survival. Well, research finds that when we experience positive emotions like gratitude, our, our, our awareness actually opens up, our attention opens up. It's called a broaden and build theory. We can broaden our attention, build the resources we need to keep going when we experience positive emotions. Mm-hmm. Um, so I would imagine there's links to that, right? There's probably links to, you have to create the time and space to experience and see meaning where you are, right? If you're just going through the motions, you have no space to be able to really stop and think, you know, why am I doing this? What's the purpose of this? So I'd imagine there are certainly links there, but I would imagine that a lot of the outcomes of mindfulness are positive psychological phenomenon that we've been talking about. Mm -hmm. Because the other component we haven't talked about is positive relationships. So there's there's a flourishing triangle in psychology, positive psychology. Positive meaning, we've talked a little bit about that. Uh, Positive emotions, we've talked about that. And then positive relationships whether it's just high quality connections, you know, that we're having right now um, in this conversation, or if it's having, you know, relationships where you're respectfully engaging with each other, there's some humor, there's some play in those friendships, 
Um, you're doing something non-instrumental with each other, like like at work. You're being able to just like hang out and joke around with somebody. Those things are really important as human beings. Getting to know people yeah. beyond the day-to-day work tasks. Right. So that's another thing that we can do. I think we've become, with the data on loneliness, isolation, the data on being forgotten, um, the data on uh, people feeling undervalued. I think this is a, this is a moment where increasing positive meaning, positive relationships, positive emotion is more needed than ever. I mean, I think this skill that we're talking about in this podcast of enacting positive psychology wherever you are is the skill needed to meet the challenges that we're seeing. You know, there's a lot of discussion about polarization and there's a lot of things that play into that, but just the way that people live now is is increasing people's isolation and people are feeling less connected with their communities and this is just a very simple summary of what I'm you know what I've been reading but a lot of that has to do just with modern society with how things operate now with technology there's a lot of factors that go into it it sounds like this way of thinking could be one possible maybe not solve everything but help move things in the other way yeah, I think that my uh, my take on it is what's happening is there's two things going on. One, there's a lot of false positives out there in terms of positive energy. Mm-hmm. The dopamine hit you get from scrolling. Um, when you get that like on that post or even things like when you see a sports team win, like, you know, those are those are dopamine hits. They're, a lot, they're false positives. And what I mean by that is that they give you the feeling that things are good momentarily. But then as we know, like, when you go pursue like a dopamine rush, it always goes away. It's like when you eat a big cookie and then right. <laughs> you feel great eating the cookie, but you know, half an hour later, you never feel like great. Yeah. You're never like, man, I'm really glad. Pint, pint of ice cream. Maybe. Rick, I'm really glad I had that pint of ice cream. So we have a lot of people pursuing pleasure right now. And, and pleasure is different than purpose. What's purposeful is not always pleasurable. So it's like sh- it's short-term return right. versus long-term. And what's positive from a positive psychological standpoint is not always pleasurable. What's positive is that long-term stable regeneration of energy that comes from things like meaningfulness, from gratitude, from awe, from... Th- it, it lingers. The results of positive psychology flourishing is a lingering state. It's stable over time, whereas happiness, for example, and pleasure go up and down depending on what you're doing. A lot of people are living in a roller coaster of pleasure, not pleasure, pleasure, not pleasure. It's like, you know, when people say, oh, if I just get to the weekend, then I'll be rested. Mm. It's astounding how many people live for two-sevenths of their lives. Right. Right? Or if I just get through this day, then everything will be great. If I could just get through this meeting... Right. That's in psychology. There's a phenomenon called destination addiction. If I just get to the thing, then I'll be happy. And there's always another destination. There's always another destination. If I just get to retirement, well, guess what? You're going to have health challenges. Right. And do you have the positive resources to respond productively and positively to those health challenges? Right. That's the stabilizing force of what we're talking about. Being able to live more in the moment. Yeah. Focus less on the next thing. Right. Like when things are going bad, can you find a way to see a positive emotion in it? Uh, Can you find a way to just, do you have the skills to discern the meaning in it? Um, Do you have positive relationships to lean on? Versus do you go to your phone and find something that makes you feel good for a minute? Do you eat a cookie, right? If you you really think about what's going on, 
I think it's a dearth of some of these concepts that we've been talking about. The second thing I would say though, is that people are going to places that make them feel significant. We'll go all the way back to the beginning. The feeling of mattering is so fundamental. When you were born as a human being, the first thing that you did was you actually tilted your head upward and grasped for someone to value you. You sought to matter to someone else for your survival before you sought to eat food. And that never goes away, right? So that survival instinct to matter, to have a caring relationship. I think people are finding, are not experiencing mattering in places like their workplaces, their classrooms, their families even, their communities. And so if a political candidate or a subreddit thread offers you that false feeling of significance, humans are gonna go there. And then what happens is we divide. And I think more than ever, people are competing for the significance they're not getting in their everyday lives. A key way to restore that, I think, is to make sure everybody feels noticed, affirmed, and needed in all aspects of life, school, sports teams, a family life, um, workplaces where people spend a third of their waking life. And a lot of those things that mattering is an outcome of a lot of the concepts we've been talking about. Is there a story that you could tell us about how applied positive psychology made a, a real impact? Yeah, I mean, it actually is, it's, it's a story I tell all the time and I'm gonna tell it again. Because there's someone at Colorado State University, her name is Ellen, she's a environmental technician in one of the residence halls. She was actually one of the first interviews I did for my PhD work on what makes work meaningful. And we're talking about custodians who are often in invisible places, you know, night shifts, uh, their work isn't always seen. A lot of people walk right by, you know, and don't make eye contact. So it's a really difficult job. And I asked all the custodians, I said, um, I asked them, what's the most meaningful part of your job? And Ellen said to me verbatim, she said, it's all meaningful. You know, when I go into the bathroom on a Monday morning to clean it after the weekend in a university residence hall, she goes, I say to myself, I'm cleaning this bathroom so that these kids don't get sick. During her breaks, she crochets winter hats for all of the students in her residence hall. And I asked her why, and she goes, well, if I go to my car in the winter and I just see one st student wearing one of these hats, I'm reminded of why my job exists. Wow. She's been at the university for over 20 years. I mean, people remember her. I tell that story in other states and people who went to CSU remember her, right? There's a big difference between her and someone who's just there to get their paycheck on Friday or get through to the weekend, or I wish I could have done something more. Why am I doing just this job, right? And you imagine that Ellen and that other person, they both face a stressful situation. Who's going to respond better? The person with the so that or the person who just needs to get through it, right? Ellen didn't know that she was enacting positive psychology, but what she was enacting was crafting her job as meaningful. Right. Seeing the inherent impact in the job. She realized that there's no other reason for her job existing except for taking care of those students in that residence hall. Mm. So I would say she went back to the actual framing right. of her work. And that's a, that's a strategy called job crafting, where you can cognitively craft your job and see the meaning in it by thinking about its impact on other people. That's a great story. And so I imagine her fulfillment in that job was higher. Not only higher, she messaged me on Facebook and she said, Zach, I want to meet with you because I've been seeing some things with the students that I think can be better. And then she said she wanted to be a speaker as well and tell her story. So we actually met 
And, and sometimes you could be tempted to listen to this and hear her story and say, wow, she's inspiring. There's just some people like that. I would argue, no, there are skills that she actually enacts that allows her to see the world that way, that you can learn too. Anyone can learn. Anyone can learn. How would you coach or mentor someone who says, well, I'm just more of a behind the scenes person. You know, I'm not a front and center outgoing individual, someone who's more introverted, let's say, and is, is kind of struggling with that. Mm. Well, I study this stuff and I'm an introvert. I've taken every scale possible. You don't seem like an introvert. Right. I am. I am an introvert, but you're talking to me about something that interests me. Mm. So what I would coach that person to do is to really think about what strengths they have. Don't label themselves by being an introvert so that you're missing something. See, that's a traditional psychological approach. How can you get, I'm not going to coach you to be more like an extrovert because you don't need to be. What you need to do is you need to find and believe that you have unique strengths as an introvert that you're underutilizing because you live in a world dominated by extroverts that tell you those strengths aren't valid. So I would ask them a couple questions. What do you love doing every day? Not what you wish you loved doing, but what do you love doing? I love deeply thinking, right? Say, say maybe you love deeply thinking. A lot of these positive psychological components are very reliant on deeply thinking. So I would ask them, I was like, yeah, think about if you're behind the scenes, like think about what would happen if you didn't show up, right? What that impact would be. Think about that. Try to map that out. Um, or I would say, you know, when you create a positive relationship with somebody and you feel like you're really in flow, because introverts also tend to like one or two people, they can get into a relation, they get into a conversation that just is like really flowing that deeply. Um, whereas that doesn't happen as much for extroverts, but I would say, Hey, when that's happening, what's going on? You know, what are you talking about? How can you find more relationships where you're able to talk about those things? That's called relational crafting. It's part of job crafting, but find okay. relationships. But the first thing I would say is that, you know, there's no deficit. Uh, introversion is a trait, right? It's a personality trait. Right. Um, and there's a lot of unique strengths that come along with it. Right. And it's not like a black and white, thing. like you're at no. this or you're that. It's more of a spectrum, I imagine. Like nobody tells me, nobody asks me the question, hey, how would you coach an extrovert? And managing daily life, you know, right. it's like. Although they likely need coaching in a different way. Oh, I know. I some coach people, many of them. Some people maybe a little too extroverted. Exactly. Yeah. Right, and they don't take time to process and think, and they're always going on to the next thing. So I think that again, it goes back to, and this is a this is an application for coaching, strengths based coaching. Mm -hmm. Like that initial question I just asked, you know, what do you, what do you love doing? What are you good at every day? Um, instead of how can you be more extroverted? Right. Or when you tell an introvert, I need, you need to start networking more. You really need to put yourself out there. Yeah. Introvert doesn't want, that's not where they get their energy is putting themselves out there. They get their energy from something else. If you're a coach, a leader, a supervisor, a teacher, and someone's introverted, you need to find out where they get their energy and create as many, ex and many possible experiences where they could experience that in your classroom, in your organization, in your family. Not tell them that that's a wrong energy source. Right. That's traditional psychology. The former is positive psychology. That's really interesting. So final question for you. What's one big takeaway or concept that our listeners could apply right away? You know, if they're like, I just, 
need one thing. What's the one thing I should try to do? I think in the final analysis of the human condition, I think the crux of everything, and this is a non-scientific answer. This is my belief based on the science that I see. I think the crux of human flourishing is positive meaning. And positive meaning, experiencing my life and my work as positive, purposeful, and significant is critical. And what comes before experiencing meaningfulness is experiencing mattering. So I'm actually not going to give you a tip to do for yourself. I'm going to give you a tip to do for other people. Is to commit to making sure that people around you are shown by you the evidence of their significance. Um, whether it's your FedEx driver knowing their last name, whether it's the barista actually calling them the name that's on their name tag when you order your coffee or tea or whatever, um, whether it's that employee whose family was struggling, you ask them how they're doing, uh, knowing your team's strengths, uh, showing people how they're relied on. So make sure people feel noticed, affirmed, and needed around you. I think one of the most powerful five words you could use for right now is if it wasn't for you. So go tell someone on your team, in your classroom, in your sports team, in your family, in the community, just, hey, hey, if it wasn't for you, this wouldn't be possible. Because when people experience meaninglessness, they experience incoherence in life. Meaning is coherence when things make sense. And when people experience things not making sense, they go try to make it make sense. And usually that results in either acts of withdrawal, isolating, leaving, quiet quitting, quote unquote, is just an act of withdrawal. It's an, it's inevitable. Quiet quitting, for example, was an inevitable response to anti-mattering. It's a withdrawal response. Or they act out in desperation. Whether that's um, gossiping, complaining, blaming, or whether that's acts of violence, hey, look at me, I do matter. Feelings of invisibility either result in acts of desperation or acts of withdrawal. So I think one of the most important things we can do in our organizations, in our society, in our families, is to make sure everyone around us feels noticed, affirmed, and needed. Say, if it wasn't for you to somebody today, that can help at least prompt their mind to remember that they have significance, that there's positive meaning in their life, which is the crux of everything else. Hmm. This resonating with me for sure. Yeah. It's so often to to just overlook that or, you know, we're all in such a hurry. It's yeah. easy to just not do that or not take an extra few seconds to really. Yeah. Or it's common sense, right? You know, it's not common. What's common sense is not always common practice. And one of the things I'm like the nicest person in the world when I'm walking my dog. I think of all the people I should thank, all the, you know, calls I should make. And then I get back to my office. And I have this to do list. Right. Right. But why don't those things make it on my to do list? Why don't the things that actually matter make it on there? We put off kindness for responding to emails. Yeah, if everyone just put one item right. yeah. a day or a week even yeah, and actually did it, the world would be a brighter place probably. Yeah, and it goes back to that little human being just being born searching for to matter. Well, then you think about the people who really make an impact. The people who are considered to be inspirational are the people that do that. Yeah. That's like a strength of theirs is exactly what you're saying. They're the people that uplift everyone around them, the people that have the most respect and some it comes naturally to some people 
Probably not most people, though. Yeah. Like for me, I, you know, that's something I have to work on a little bit more, but it's something I would aspire to. Right. And I think that's the bigger question is what are you aspiring to? And too many people are aspiring for, aspiring for popularity and not enough people are aspiring for impact. Go on LinkedIn. When's the last time you saw somebody post? I remembered someone's full name today. But those are the very things that are going to leave a legacy, not your big product launch. Yeah, totally. Well, Zach, it's great talking to you. Yeah, thanks, Baron. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Hopefully have you back. Yeah, I'd love to be back. This episode was produced and edited by Baron Gogan. Applied is a production of Colorado State University's Office of Engagement and Extension, which includes CSU Online, CSU Extension, and the Colorado Water Center. From community education to online degrees, CSU OEE works across Colorado to develop, share, and apply knowledge, empowering individuals and communities to thrive. Visit engagement.colostate.edu to learn more. Finally, if you'd like more information about today's guest or CSU's Applied Positive Psychology program, check out the show notes.